Welcome to the Pharma Forum podcast. My name is Dominic Tyre, and I'm Pharma Forum's Creative and Editorial Director. For this instalment, I spoke to Dr. Stuart Hill, who's the newly appointed Medical Director for Merck in the UK and Ireland. He discussed how his career path to date has taken him through pharma's sales, marketing, and now medical roles. We also looked at how he's seen the oncology landscape changed, and which of these developments he sees holding the most potential to improve patient outcomes. You can find more details of this episode, including a download link to the podcast and information about other instalments in the series at pharmaforum.com forward slash podcast. The Pharma Forum podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher and Podbean, where you can find and subscribe to it by searching for Pharma Forum. Mr. Stewart, welcome to the Pharma Forum podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So I'm really looking forward to talking to you about trends in oncology. But but before we do, we should probably set the scene for, for listeners. I mean, if we look at your career journey to date, it's encompassed roles in pharma sales, marketing, and now medical roles. Could you tell us a bit about maybe how you've chosen your previous roles and what your, your current role entails? Yes, yeah, certainly. So um, I've been in the industry now uh, since 1999. So I feel like a bit of a, a long-time servant. Um, well, I started off my career in in sales, uh, working as GP sales rep and then hospital sales in in the West Midlands with Servier. And really, the the reason I got into that job at the time was very much about I'd done a, a PhD and degree in chemistry. I really wanted to get into the pharmaceutical industry because I was fascinated by medicinal chemistry and how you turn some of these really exciting natural products that we find into into real life medicines and i'd done a little bit of um research towards my degree into medicinal chemistry so it seemed the the natural place to go so uh from my uh, sales background i spent about 18 months or so in in sales roles before i moved into marketing and um I think it's that for me was the the place where I I always wanted to be at that stage, and I was involved in learning a lot of the um, early marketing skills and launch preparations and brand planning, tactical implementation in in the early two thousands in areas such as hypertension and cardiovascular disease, Servier, uh, which was a huge. Uh, amount of learning and development for me, a huge amount of fun that we had with a really strong team at that time. I think I got to to really grow quickly into how you turn your your strategy, how you uh, see that implemented and measure and 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 drive your commercial performance. And that was really exciting time for me. In that time, I was involved in a lot of big study launches in cardiovascular disease. I was. Um, then also involved in uh, some preparations for for drug launches. And while I really enjoyed my time at, at Servier, all of those disease areas that I was working in were predominantly primary care led, uh, heavily influenced by secondary care, but really primary care focused. So um, in 2010, I joined Merck to join the neurology team um, to help plan a launch in, in MS that uh, was for a drug that subsequently didn't get a marketing authorization, um, which was uh, a little bit 
disappointing at the time, but it's one of one of the things that we have to face within industry. But when that didn't come to market, it allowed me to stay in Merck and move over to their oncology team, which is where I've um, spent the last 10 years in, in my time at Merck in commercial roles as, um, again, head of marketing roles, brand manager roles, and then ultimately for the last three and a half years into leading their oncology business unit, which has been a huge amount of fun and a, a really successful time for the company. After three and a half years and ultimately 20 years in commercial roles, I've then had the opportunity recently to uh, take up my new role as, as medical director at Merck. And I'm really, really excited about this opportunity and what that brings compared to the commercial role, because I think in role if, as a medical team, we are involved right the way through development right the way up through all the registration processes and post-launch. We then generate evidence that is going to allow us to continue to learn more about how our drugs are used in the real world. And we are right the way, therefore, from the process of development to end of life cycle management. And I think medical plays such a critical role in in all of that uh, lifespan of, of any medicine. We are supporting patients we're gathering insights we're bringing those insights to the commercial team to allow them to to learn and grow their commercial strategy we are providing high quality education to patients clinicians to nurses to pharmacists and therefore we i think are fundamentally at the the core of everything that any pharma company delivers and that's what i'm really excited by in, in my new role now Certainly sounds like a very well-rounded uh, career to date. So, I mean, if we just focus on your previous experiences in oncology, could you tell us a bit about what those involved? Yeah, certainly there have been uh, some some quite some quite huge challenges along the way, and uh, a lot of interesting and exciting opportunities. And when I originally joined um, the oncology team at Merck is a time when David Cameron and the Alliance government had just introduced the Cancer Drugs Fund, which opened up funding opportunities for drugs uh, outside of the NICE process. And you know, at that time, NICE was rejecting many drugs that had a significant amount of evidence behind them. And that meant that patients in the UK weren't getting access to drugs that everyone else in Europe was. So the Cancer Drugs Fund really pave the way for a change in policy there to allow more cancer drugs to be available to more patients. And those drugs then can bring the the benefits that we'd seen in some of the clinical trials. So in my early days, we were focused on making sure that we could maximize the opportunity that that new funding route uh, applied. Then as the, the Cancer Drugs Fund took hold and grew and developed, we had to change with it. So there were constantly moves to go from more regional structures into more national funding structures. So I played a part as not just implementing the strategy to maximize the, the commercial outcomes at the side, but also to make sure as many patients across the UK as possible got access to that fund. So as the funding routes moved to more national, we had to uh, enter more commercial discussions with NHS England and others around the, the value uh, that was involved in, in the drugs and how they, they were able to be then brought to patients. I think at those times as well, I was also involved in planning uh, for one or two drugs that uh, were in phase three, but subsequently didn't make it. So again, I continued that 
evolution of the journey I'd started in my early days of launch planning, making sure that you've got the right stakeholder, right stakeholders involved and bringing cross-functional teams together to, to manage uh, and execute those launch plans. Although at that stage, they unfortunately didn't, didn't come off. But I was able to lead a successful launch in 2017, where in an alliance with Pfizer that we have around uh, one of our immunotherapy drugs, we were able to launch it for a rare type of skin cancer. And that was just an absolutely fantastic uh, opportunity to do that and to be able to really lead the promise that we'd seen in in early research into reality and uh, bring it to market and make sure that patients could benefit from that drug, which for many of them will have been a life-changing treatment. So I think it was really exciting days and, and times through that. Absolutely. I must have been particular with all of the change that was coming through with the, the, the Cancer Drugs Fund at the time and trying to work out how that fitted into access arrangements and um, uh, opening up treatments for patients. But more, more broadly than that, then, during that time, how did you see the, the wider oncology landscape change? I think it, it was a really interesting time. I, I remember planning um, one of the launches I was involved in planning in my early days was for lung cancer. And I've been reflecting on this with a few colleagues recently because at the time there were very few treatment options available in lung cancer. The uh, Some of the early targeted therapies and EGFR targeted therapies had, had started to come through. But that was that was about it beyond the traditional platinum doublet chemotherapies. And if you look at where lung cancer is now with the breakthroughs that we've seen with immunotherapies and with more and more targeted therapies that are targeted at specific mutations that are oncogenic drivers, where they may even represent a small proportion of uh, lung cancer patients, we've got some really, really, really good drugs available that can bring huge benefits to patients now. And lung cancer in those early days, back in the early 2010, 11 time, was a right, a fairly easy to write a treatment algorithm that was sort of you go this option or you go this way. And all of a sudden, we've got multiple different options in of treatment available in many lines of therapy for different subgroups of patients. And I think that just shows how in, in that one disease area, things have really changed over over that amount of time. Definitely. I, and when you look at these these kinds of developments across oncology, which do you think will, will hold the most potential ultimately to improve? improve patient outcomes. I think I, I love the way that the rise of immunotherapy has really taken hold of, of many cancers. And I think it's something that we've we've tried to grapple with for, for many years unsuccessfully until we've uh, identified the right pathways that we could use checkpoint inhibitors to really unleash the power of the immune system. You know, if we look back to the, the early days of the development of ipilimumab and subsequently of nivolumab, pembrolizumab as the, the trailblazer in this area. These drugs are now used routinely in many different types of cancer where, you know, if you look at uh, melanomas, uh, advanced melanoma many years ago, patients had very poor survival. And now we're seeing 10 year plus survival gains with these drugs. And, you know, this, these are huge strides in 10 years that we've brought to market as an industry and are transforming patient lives. And I think we've still got a whole host of options going forward to further explore and develop 
different types of drug that work in different pathways. And we know that the likes of the PDL1 or PD1 and CTLA4 checkpoint inhibitors are really good for some tumors, but they're not good for all patients in those tumors. And there's some tumors where those pathways don't seem to show any effect. And the whole range of different checkpoints point inhibitors that have been developed to explore are any of the other pathways more important in some of those uh, tumors I think is really really exciting you know how can you unlock the potential and the power of the immune system to really find seek and target the the cancer um, as it normally would I think that to me has still got huge uh, option going forward and coupled with that we've seen even more effective and beneficial targeted therapies come through and the rise of some of the real targeted therapies at specific oncogenic drivers is is transforming outcomes for example in o- ovarian cancer with BRCA mutated patients and the likes of uh, laparib and what that's brought there through solo one I think is just phenomenal data and the more we can target these specific driver mutations the more we can find the right pathways to unlock the power of the immune system and maybe look at different combinations of these things, I think is just really exciting. I don't think we've had a more exciting time in in oncology about what the future could hold. And so can you talk to us a bit about how your company's involved specifically in in these these areas and where that's headed? Yes, certainly. And I think we've, at Merck, we we're targeting uh, key areas of our of our research to try and explore and exploit some of these areas that I've talked about so targeted therapies are one of our key areas of focus and we are looking at small molecule targeted therapies in, for example, lung cancer, where Tetmetco has recently been approved by the MHRA for use in Great Britain uh, for MET-exon-14 skipping mutations uh, in advanced lung cancer. I think that is the first MET-targeted therapy to be available there. And that's just been approved within the last couple of months by the MHRA. And is going through the process for reimbursement with NICE at the minute. In uh, immuno-oncology, which is another one of our key areas, we've got Avencio, our uh, anti-PDL1 therapy that is now uh, licensed in three different cancers in one in combination with a, a TKI, so a targeted therapy, and others in unique strategies um, such as maintenance therapy after chemo induction. And I think these are bringing really exciting data to life. Our pipeline in oncology is looking at other very targeted therapies on different checkpoint inhibitors, and we've got some really exciting DNA damage response agents in development that are, are, we're looking at how they can be used in a, a whole range of tumors to help target very specific pathways where we can hopefully bring some big outcomes to patients. And we have a policy of trying to develop our medicines in areas where there is the highest unmet need. So a lot of our research will be where can we bring real innovation to patients who need it most. And of course, as you've outlined, really, there's so much innovation in oncology at the moment. I wonder, do you think this can continue? And how would you expect approaches to oncology to evolve in the future? 
I think we're at such an exciting crossroad, and I think I've, I've probably touched on some of it already. The power of the immune system is finally being harnessed in drugs, and we can really show how that could be built forward, maybe used in combination with radiotherapy or, or with more targeted agents, which is something I think we've we've got a lot of research to do. I think some of the targeted agents we're finding and developing and bringing to market are really exciting too. We've got a whole host of new targeted therapies across a number of tumours that are really making big differences. And I'm really excited about the power of having a genomic strategy that can really identify the right genetic profiles of patients and the, using our knowledge of the genome to find the right medicine that can really improve outcomes for the right patient. I think if we can use that power of the science and the, the knowledge that we have about uh, how cancer grows, find the right therapies that therefore can be used to, to limit that growth and stop that growth. I think that the power of what we can learn and what we can bring to market in the future is is almost limitless. I think it's a, a really exciting time for oncology. Absolutely was, Stuart. Thank you very much for joining me on the Pharma Forum podcast. And that concludes episode 45 of the Pharma Forum podcast and my discussion with Merck's Dr. Stuart Hill. You can find more details of this episode, including a download link for the podcast and information about other instalments in the series at pharmaforum.com forward slash podcast. The Pharma Forum podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher and Podbean, where you can find and subscribe to it by searching for Pharma Forum. And don't forget to visit our website to sign up for daily or weekly email pharmaceutical news and analysis bulletins. And follow us on Twitter, where we are at Pharma Forum.